Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line by my eminently reasonable colleague, Mr. Charles Curtis. I'm feeling unreasonable today. Let's let's be unreasonable. Let's 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 throw caution to the wind. Let's do it. Uh, I can say that I am feeling rather unreasonable. At some point in my morning, uh, I don't know if it was at the gym or at the grocery store or where I was on my travels. I heard just a snippet of Aqua's Barbie Girl, and now oh. cannot get it out of my head. That is, this is what I hate about pop music in general: is that there are a group of songs that you absolutely stunningly can't handle that you hate and then they get in your head and they're earworms and this by the way is what happens when you have a kid and they they you know they some of them you know glom onto music and 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 my kid loves music and there are certain like videos that he likes to watch over and over and over and over and over and over and over again with really annoying music but that's the music that you hear in the middle of the night when you have to get up for any reason you know like it's just stuck in your head and you want to get it out of your head so it's like pop music and that's what i guess what makes good pop music it's it's not good it's not good it's uh it's infuriating the way to get any song out of your head incidentally is to just begin singing chumbawamba's thump tub thumping and then that will be in your head for the rest of the day i'm not i'm not there yet but i'm i'm worried it's going to come to that no, you might get knocked down and get up again, and then you know. All right, etc. Uh, let's talk about. Let's talk about. We we've got five questions we want to tackle, uh, and I want to start with the first one because it's got a, a topical hook, which is, uh, what are the Mets doing promoting Tim Tebow to the high class A, uh, St. Lucie Mets from the uh, A ball short season or the full season a ball team he was playing for uh where he was hitting i believe he had a 651 ops not exactly the type of stuff that demands a promotion well the thing that i'm taking away from this is i i, I think this is something sandy alderson said the gm of the mets which is that he's a good leader and that he'd bring that good leadership and good example setting to uh you know the the next class up uh, no, he doesn't deserve a promotion based on his stats. And and w- this exercise is, is futile in the first place. We know that Tim Tebow is probably not going to be a major leaguer ever in his lifetime. Uh, and that this is, you know, kind of a promotion for um, for the crowds out there, the, the attendance to, to kind of go up. And, and who could blame him? I mean, St. Lucie, we're talking about Florida where he played football. So uh, all of that is is a business decision. And maybe it helps other minor leaguers. Like I'm okay with that. It's it the whole Tim Tebow playing baseball exercise is, is kind of dumb to begin with. But you know, like if it's gonna make your your team money in a woeful season for this franchise, you know why not? Yeah, I think it's I think it's that, and I think you you hit on it when you talked about attendance and you talk about you know how that affects other prospects. Uh, when you look at the Florida State League, and, and keep in mind you know that it is Florida, right, which is where Tim Tebow is at his most Tim Tebowy, right? <laughs> uh, if you if you try to compare uh, other other leagues at that level, uh, the Florida State League and other leagues at every level, really, the Florida State State League is one of the worst attended professional baseball leagues there are. There are Cape Cod League teams that outdraw Florida State League teams in the summer. Uh, if you if you compare it to the 
The Midwest League gets an average, or last year had an average of 3,863 fans. Uh, the South Atlantic League, where Tebow just was, average of 3,283 fans at games. Carolina League, another high Class A, 3,520, all you know in that mid 3,000 range. Florida State League last year averaged 1,353 uh, fans per game. There were three teams in the league that averaged under a thousand fans. For a lot of these players, you're looking at certainly smaller crowds than they saw in college, and probably in some cases smaller crowds than they saw in high school. And I have to expect, I have to imagine that that does uh, affect guys to some extent. And I know, you know every baseball player motivates himself his own way, and for probably a lot of guys, there's enough intrinsic motiva- motivation that they're still doing everything they can to to succeed at that level but I can't help but think you know you want to prepare guys for playing in front of people and for the adrenaline that comes along with that and while yeah there's not really a good justification for saying Tebow deserves to be playing at this level uh, it's not like any of the outfielders the Mets have at that level are tearing the cover off the ball and are now going to lose playing time. I think the entire team benefits from, you know, like you said, having that guy around uh, perhaps as a leader or a, as a role model for how to go about being a professional athlete. But more than anything, for the attention, I think it's actually good for young players. You know, and I think there's another question here that this begs, and and I kind of wonder about it, given the fact that the the parent team is having a just a kind of an abysmal season. The question is, do the Mets bring up Tim Tebow in September? And I just kind of want to see it for the storm that it would create um, on the internet, everywhere, every at bat, the circus it would create. Only and and look, we were both Mets fans. We both grew up Mets fans. Like I don't want to see that for my my franchise. But in a sort of a vacuum, I'm thinking to myself, man, how fun would that be just to see the I mean, I'm thinking of like fans walking out protesting or some fans standing up and cheering and then it causing like this this debate on the Internet. Uh, and we happen to write for a site that debates things on the Internet. So it would be kind of a benefit to everybody. So I don't know that that's my sort of argument. And then the Mets fan in me is going no don't yeah, do it i mean i would be and i know that's that's been the talk lately is this means they're definitely going to call him up in september i'd be really surprised if that happens and and while you're right like it would be a fun circus i think it's almost too much of a circus and i think that uh it would it would bother the major league players, right? Because they're still playing out the season at that point. Whenever they bring them right. up, uh, even if they're even if they're out of it, they're still taking their job seriously and trying to win. And putting T- Tebow on the team, uh, unless you know something massively changes in, in the course of the next couple months in in his performance, uh, I think it sends a weird message to the the major league baseball players in the clubhouse. And I think also it's probably not the message you want to send inside the organization, right? Because to put him on a big league roster, they'd need to find room for him on the 40 man. Uh, they don't have a lot of that. And the Mets are, are sort of notoriously careful about how they manage their 40 man roster. So it would mean either cutting a player uh, who is more deserving of a major league job than Tim Tebow or passing on a guy who is more, you know, and, and not giving that 40-man roster spot to a guy who is more deserving of a big league roster spot than Tebow. And that, when you, when you, um, when you look at it that way, that is a, there's a huge financial incentive 
for the guys getting called up at the year. Uh, we've talked a lot about minor league salaries. Guys make less than minimum wage for the entire time they're in the minors. Uh, that you know the, that last month, if you're getting the prorated minimum, you're doubling your pay. Uh, so that's for a lot of guys. That's a that's a good reward at the end of the season. If the team does have the 40 man spot, they'll bring up a guy like our our guy Valentino Pascucci, who's been doing good service in the minor leagues and can use you know the exposure and and the money that comes with that. And so, you know, uh, giving that job, giving that opportunity to a guy who has the money and who certainly has the exposure, I think uh, is a is a bad thing to say to all of the players working hard for your organization. Yeah, look who's being Mr. Reasonable now, huh? You know, that was the most reasonable thing I've heard. I'm going to be the unreasonable one. I just want to see the, the, the firestorm it creates when he comes up, if he comes up. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I doubt uh, that it's going to happen for a variety of reasons. I think the 40-man roster thing is actually a really great point. You know, they just can't bring him up willy-nilly. They have to make a move and then replace a, a you know, a, a somebody who deserves to be on that 40-man roster, um, which we know can be kind of a headache, right? Because if you take a guy off, it exposes all kinds of things. And, um, yeah, I, it won't – I don't – my predictions, it won't happen. Um, would I be surprised if it actually ends up happening? Then – you know, yeah, a little bit, but not that much. And the other aspect to it is St. Lucie is a miserable place to hit. Typically, if you look at Mets prospects, they, they have really lousy stats there and then sort of take off once they get to Binghamton. So Tebow, I mean, a guy, I looked it up, it's a 648 OPS and low A ball. Now he's going to go face better competition in a in a worse park. Uh, that he is not, I, I think that it, at some point it will become, you know, okay, well, there's no way we can justify moving this guy up another level or two more levels or three more levels to get him to the big leagues. Yeah, that's the thing, right? You're, you're moving up to much better pitching. Like the, the difference right between where he was and where he's going is, is huge, right? So he's, I, I just can't imagine if I'm a pitcher, if I'm throwing anything but curveballs, I'm going to throw him curveball off speed. Uh, sliders, everything, because, you know, who wants to be the, the guy who gave up a home run to Tim Tebow, or a hit, for that matter? Um, so, I don't know, does he end up, like, batting, like, one for 28 to start his his, his next level? I, I I think so, and and it's a little bit embarrassing, but, he you know, Tim Tebow doesn't seem to mind those things, and here he is, you know, spreading his, his you know, sort of feel-good story around, um, and frankly, for the Mets, the only feel-good story right now. Yeah, I think you know when you when you talk about the pitching in the minor league levels, like obviously a lot of it is just luck of the draw. If you happen to face a team that is keeping some of its best pitching prospects at the low level for the start of the season, you know maybe you do get guys who will be uh, as good as the competition you'll see at the next level. But I think for the most part, by the time you get to high A ball, it's a pretty big jump from the full season A ball to high A ball, and there you're getting. Guys who have pitched in college and and a lot of polished pitchers. So, you know, not just someone who can throw his fastball for strikes, but a guy who can locate his fastball in the strike zone or a guy who can throw both his fastball and his breaking pitch for strikes. And that's a a lot harder than just sort of, you know, sitting on a fastball over the middle and and, and waiting to turn on it, which, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of Tebow playing this year, but I can't imagine, you know, he's doing, I mean, he's not doing much damage at all. I can't imagine a lot of it is is done on good breaking pitches yeah yeah it, it and I, it, it's tim tebow uh, it, all the way it, it's just we're going to be talking about this no matter what happens that he's still in a baseball organization to begin with is going to be discussed through the summer 
and and you know everyone's going to be keeping a really uh, uh, you know close eye on this. I want to say that last the last point on Tim Tebow, and and I don't think it can be uh, understated or overstated, whatever it is. For as bad as he has been, and he is a, a putrid single-A baseball player, right? He is not good. Uh, he is also not the worst hitter. on. He was not worse, the worst hitter on his team, and not a complete embarrassment. He was not someone who seemed like he doesn't deserve to be playing minor league baseball. Uh, at the age notwithstanding, I think for most 29-year-olds, they've been you know eaten up and chewed out and uh, chewed, chewed up and, and spit out of the sport by then, but to post a 650 OPS in A ball when you haven't played in 12 years is incredibly impressive, right? Like that is a, yes. a nearly superhuman feat for most of us. Uh, th- those guys, everybody who's playing in A ball is the best baseball player most of us have ever met. You know, it's so uh, to do that against that type of competition, even at that low of a level, I think is is incredible. Yeah, and I'll throw out my last point, which is that um, uh, Tim Tebow remains to be one of the, the biggest athletes in the United States for just the fact that, like, every time I write about him, I get hate mail. It's the craziest thing. I wrote a, a thing uh, maybe two months ago or a month ago when he was actually raking a little bit. Like, he had, like, a, a decent streak going on where he was, he was getting some hits. Yeah. You know, and I I'm... got – I. I yeah, I got people who were like, you know, reaching out to me like, how could you be sarcastic about how good he is at baseball? And, you know, I, and I was like, wow, this is oh, really yeah, yeah, that. you know, I mean, I thought I think I thought you went a little all in on a small sample size there, Charles. But uh, <laughs> it was but that's what America was doing. Uh, that's what, what everyone does. Birthday. And yeah, uh, I mean, and he does seem to I mean, we're talking about him, right? We're talking about 29 nine year old who's playing a ball and can't really hit. Uh, he does seem to bring passion out of people. And we, we might get hate mail for this very podcast. Uh, but, uh, you know, <laughs> That's fine. thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, and, and let me say, by the way, uh, the reason I got hate mail is I was being kind of sarcastic in the, in the post. So, yeah, I wasn't uh, totally saying, oh, wow, is he getting good at baseball? Like, you know, it was... It was, it was it's okay. Was- I think it's got to be okay to be sarcastic about a guy who's... I mean, there's there's a lot of vanity in this, right? Like, And he knows it, and he's been humble about it, and he said the right things. But, you know, if you're not Tim Tebow, you can't just be like, hey, I want to play minor league baseball and get a spot on a minor league baseball team. Exactly. All right, let's go on. Uh, give me a give me a second question. Second question, since we're on the baseball topic, are the MLB uh, division races going to be lame to end the year? Um, that is a good question, and I feel like I'm I'm I feel like I've probably said this before around this time of the season. We're we're just about at the halfway point in terms of. Uh, games played for most teams. Uh, you're getting up around 78 games, 79 games for some teams. Uh, some with a few less, but uh, right, right around the halfway mark, if not the proper end of the first half. And it does, I mean, the Astros are going to win the AL West. They're sitting, I don't know, 10 games ahead or something. The Nationals... 12 and a half. Yeah, the Nationals Crazy. are going to win the NL East. Every other team in the NL East looks terrible, uh, and the Nationals are good. Uh, and then uh, the tight races, to me, and, and and there's a bunch. There's now there's four reasonably tight races, but that the Red Sox are sitting near the top or at the top of the AL East, when to me that's the team with the most talent there, uh, that says to me I can expect them to sort of start pulling away. 
crazier things have happened, but I would expect the Red Sox start pulling away in the East, the Indians start pulling away in the AL Central, uh, and I kind of feel like it's not long before the Cubs surpass the Brewers and start pulling away in the NL Central. So, uh, And I think you can even say the same thing happens in the NL West. Uh, what I'm seeing is the teams that I would have guessed, the teams with the most talent, are already sitting near the top of the standings, and this is the time when they usually separate themselves. So, you know, if one team got off to an astonishingly bad start and someone else was extremely good, maybe they make a race of it. I feel like we might see some of these teams pull away. You're probably see this is the thing, right? Like I'm looking at the numbers right now. I'm looking at the standings right now, and you've got you know the the last place Blue Jays are five and a half games out of of the AL East uh, lead. And you got like the magical twins, which is one of my favorite stories in baseball this year. The the team with all defense and you know some a little bit of hitting and and pitchers who are you know getting to that defense um, that are a half game out behind the, the Indians. I kind of think it's going to be exciting, and I think it always is now because of the 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 second wild card, right? Like you're talking about the division races, obviously, and whoever's going to win those races. But it always keeps teams extra competitive through. August when you know and, and the trade deadline and all that to, to see if they can make a run at a wild card because hey you win one game and suddenly you're in the playoffs and then we all know small sample playoffs you could make a run um, I kind of think the Brewers are going to stay in it weirdly like their pitching may not hold up but that race the Cubs have been that disappointing that you know they probably will pull away but I kind of like the Brewers and the Cardinals to kind of make a run at it because we know the Cardinals can always do Cardinal-like things. And the Brewers, are uh, that's the other, my sort of favorite NL story, that they've got all this hitting and they've got a lot of talent there and, and they've got pitchers who are like like Chase Anderson who's doing surprising stuff. I expect that to be a good race. And I feel like the NL West is going to be a great race. I think the Rockies are going to stand it. they got John Gray coming back soon. They can rake as they always can. And, and the Diamondbacks are, are a solid team to give the Dodgers a run, even though – the Dodgers are, you know, sort of a, a juggernaut right now, 51 wins. But I think the Diamondbacks can keep up with them legitimately. See, I feel like the the race for the NL wildcard spots might get interesting. Uh, like you mentioned, maybe, maybe the Brewers are good enough, and, and then maybe they can get back in there with the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. I feel like what we're seeing now, and I know they lost last night, but uh, the Dodgers had just won, I think, 10 in a row and something like 14 to 15 I feel like they're kind of putting the the pedal to the to the floor and and uh, making their move. Uh, that's that's to me probably the deepest team in baseball right now. Uh, and I don't know. I kind of feel like it's it's their division to lose now. They've got a little bit of a cushion, and I, I don't know. I I like both. Of, I like things about the Diamondbacks, and you know I like the Rockies, but I, I just don't think that they're there with the Dodgers. Yeah, no, and and I I look at you know a team like the Pirates who you know they're thirty five and forty one behind the Brewers you know or forty one wins it's it's it, things will probably shake out you're probably right I, I I want it badly to be so much better though it, it it stinks and we saw this in 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 the NBA in the playoffs where you know there are two good teams and everybody else and it that's always so so lame I mean when when the off season is better than the actual product you know there's something wrong with the sport. Um, uh, that being said, you know, we've, we've spoken on podcast for about how the NBA and I'm totally going on, on a, a tangent here, but the point I'm making here about baseball, it, you know, is it, is it bad for the sport? I don't know. Like, I think the Dodgers being a juggernaut is really cool, you know? 
Yeah, no, and 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 it's in baseball, like you said, like you don't because the playoffs are a crapshoot. Because teams don't win seventy percent or eighty percent of their games, then once you get to the postseason, you know there's no guarantee they win. It's not like the Dodgers are are a juggernaut that's coming off several World Championships. I don't think they've won one since I think it was '88, right? So so uh, that's a team that you know it would still be ex- an exciting story even if they won, you know, like this by being the best team. Uh, and, and I don't know, there's recency bias certainly acting on me. I'm saying the Dodgers look like the best team now because they've been playing like the best team and maybe they have two rough weeks and I'm changing my tune. Uh, and, and I think there'll, there'll be a race. There's a, there's enough playoff factors at this point that there'll be a race somewhere, whether it's, you know, seven teams in the mix for the second wild card like last year, uh, or, you know, one good division race to keep an eye on. It just feels like, you know, because, especially because two of the divisions uh, are so lopsided at this point, that the chance of like a truly great, uh, exciting run to the finish seems slimmer this year than it often does at this point. Right, and you've got all these like weird teams. I would, I, I, I hate to put it under one umbrella, but I'm going to. But like the Royals, who were sort of underachieving and then coming back, and the Twins, like I just talked about, and and those are teams who are like yeah, really, and the Brewers, who are like kind of. So you know, here we are sitting in June still, you know, almost July, and we've got so much more baseball to play. You, you realize that when you when you you think about like you said right up at the start of answering this question. So uh, yeah, maybe the wild card will be a lot of fun uh, to to watch, and that's kind of what I think baseball wants is more teams that are the also rans competing you know what i'm kind of excited about uh and we'll we'll move on we'll go to a third question but last thing on this uh los angeles angels one game against uh, one game above 500 despite missing mike trout for for a month and uh getting mike trout back around the all-star break like that that would be cool give mike trout yeah. makes a surprise playoff appearance and he, he might be, you know, uh, getting better thanks to, um, you know, a set of, uh, of barbecue uh, skewers that somebody might have bought for him. I, I bought Mike Trout some barbecue skewers. <laughs> it's weird. It's very weird. It feels weird to say it out loud. I don't know. It was a, you know what? Like, you make impulse decisions when you're trying to write about Mike Trout every week. You're like, I, I got nothing else. All right, I'll buy him. I'll spend, I'll drop $15 to have something to write about. And uh, heck yeah. And it's barbecue skewers. And I hope he enjoys them. I hope he uses them and enjoys them. And it's like, this is that thing that random guy from the internet bought. Well, you, you know what you have to do, though. You, you have to come out of your journalistic, uh, you know, integrity mode. And if you ever see him again, you got to be I like, have... hey, did you get those barbecue skewers? Yeah, I didn't, I'm waiting on a thank you note, Mike Trout. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I feel like that is that is too weird. I feel feel like that is too weird of a thing to, to say to some to anyone. Like, hi, I'm a stranger uh, we've met a few times, you know, you've talked to me about some stuff in baseball, and I decided that you were worthy of some barbecue skewers because you're dope at baseball. Uh, that's too weird. I don't think, I, I don't know that, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, give, give me an, another question. Uh, another question. Um, my question is, is something that I, I brought up a little bit yesterday on Twitter um, after writing about the, the dropping of the Super Nintendo Classic that Nintendo says it's coming out with later this year, which is why doesn't the SNES Classic, they, they listed the games, and I haven't seen it, you know, I don't know if I, I'm missing something here, but why don't they have NBA Jam or Ken Griffey Baseball, which are two of the greatest sports games of all time, maybe top five, top ten, both of them, um, and, and it's really bugging me. But we could. I, I'll let you answer first, and I'll, I'll go on my. I my was. Rant. 
I know that Ken Griffey Jr. baseball is like a big deal. I was never that into it. I did that. Was that only uh, on Nintendo? It was on Super Nintendo. It was. It was a, a, a. I think it's. I. So my thing about baseball games, sports games in general, on video games, are that they are like lame for a reason because they are so complex. Because the game of baseball is surprisingly complex when you break it down from the angle of a video game, right? In the NBA, you know, if you're playing like NBA Jam or you're playing, you know, I don't know, NBA Live uh, 95, which was, or, you know, 97, which was a staple in, in my childhood, you know, it's easy, right? You pass the ball, you shoot the ball, you you know, you have your teammates moving around. But baseball, you know, you got to pitch a certain way and the pitching is always so hard to overcome when you're, you're on the hitting end of things and then the fielding is, you know, so many buttons to press at the same time. And Ken Griffey baseball was just simple. It was easier. It was you know, less, less complex. And, and I, I, I really loved it uh, for that, those reasons. And I think that the reason that they can't bring those games back for NES Classic, um, and for, you know, we can talk about NES Classic, which came and went last year. Um, they didn't have, you know, super technical. I think it's because they would have to do licensing deals with leagues all over again to get the, you know, the, the correct names in there and all that. And it's too much of a headache. That's my guess. I'd like to find out. Um, and kind of gave me an idea to kind of make the call around to some people to find out because I I would love I would buy that thing in a heartbeat if it had those games on there. I mean, I would almost if I had I, I live in a New York City apartment as you do, so I don't I, this, these things are a pipe dream. But like, I feel like I would happily own an, a stand up NBA Jam like the the machine the console yeah you know like the oh, arcade yeah. the arcade version of NBA Jam. In my house, I feel like that was like the most fun social game that has ever been played. You know, like it was just a, a super fun game to play against someone because you did all this awesome dunking. And it was just like basketball at its like most like basic sports game level. Uh, that was a that was uh, that was one I would definitely still play and enjoy. Whereas when you, you brought up the NES Classic after that came out. I got a chance to play some Nintendo games. There's a, uh, and I I played like on the real old Nintendo. Some Nintendo games. They suck, Charles. They're not good. I don't understand. And I'm not like a big video gamer. I'm not like someone who's up to date on the current systems. But I have been able to play on the PS3 and stuff. Like, why would anyone who has seen these things? Opt to play Paperboy. Paperboy is a horrible, horrible video. Oh game. come on, you're missing no, out. No, play it's Paperboy. So play Paperboy. So I, I played Paperboy. When was the last time you played it? Oh, I played it fairly recently, actually. Why though? I did. I find I found my old Game Boy. This actually happened. I okay. found my old Game Boy. I sold it um, to a retro gaming shop, which exists in New York City, and they paid nice money for it. I was shocked and and like, thank you for money. I appreciate it because I had all these games, and I was like, I'm, what am I going to do with this? Um, and I, I took it out and, and I started at Paperboy. I think at Paperboy 2. That game is like kind of lame, but like, oh, lame it's from horrible. The concept, but like, it's hard. Like, I like a good challenging game. Like, you got to throw the papers in there. You got to like watch out for the dog. You got to watch out for the guys biking down the, the street. That's it. You... That's all you do. You just drive down the street and you throw the paper at houses and you have to dodge things. That's it. And it's just that. Yeah, and it's and it's challenge. Just that I, over yeah. and over again. And then, like, you, if you yeah, do I'll it well. You get to do it again, and then if you like, it's it's just the same thing. It's horrible. It's not fun. Uh, see, but the sport, and this is the, we can segue into the sports end of that. Like RBI baseball was such a great game. It was a great little baseball game. It's it, it's lame in that you can't control all your players. That they all like move together at the same time, and it's so easy to get like a triple 
Um, but that's, you know, like if you want a game with like 20 to 19 games like that, you know, that's what's going to happen on RBI baseball. And, uh, you know, I was really disappointed. And you got Tecmo Super Bowl, which is another game that I think is is a top 10 for me of all time. Yeah, um, obviously. Inspired. Right. Um, and and I can say this on the air. We Ted and I have challenged each other to try to play some of these retro games and, and see who wins. I think. Ted would probably get me on a few of these, but I got to tell you, like I, those games are, even though they're 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 old and lame uh, because they're old, they're still fun because they're challenging. I think I would have fun. I think that when I think that to me the jump from eight bit to sixteen bit probably represents a, a huge one, uh, especially since that was I'd say I did most of my video game playing in the sixteen bit era. Like I was, I had a Nintendo when I was a kid. And then when the Genesis came out, that was, like, my thing. You know, it was like my whole family yeah. had the Nintendo, the Genesis. By the time the Genesis came out, I was the only one young enough to be still playing video games. And uh, I loved it. Like, it was, that was, I don't know, that was the system for me. I feel like I could comfortably beat you on any Genesis game I played in the mid-'90s. Except NHL 94. I, I still think I got you on No, that I am literally the greatest NHL player, NHL 94 <laughs> player of all time. Uh, five was the better game because the the the, the players were faster that was my only you know i i would gladly play on 95 and 94 i mean obviously you had i mean i'll I'll play any year uh but i i think 94 for whatever reason stood out as the classic like that was the one i played the most but i kept getting the new ones when they came out yeah and and i think i think the nhl by the way those are the greatest games i think nhl 94 might be the greatest old sports video game of all time um it was so it was just that good um but i i, I these are the the games i want to see on these old systems and they just won't bring them back and it's really it's it's annoying me because then i would totally stand online for an snes classic so that i could buy so i could relive my childhood of winning the ken griffey jr uh uh baseball championships and the best thing by the way about ken griffey jr baseball was that the the only name that was a real baseball player was ken griffey jr and then they had all these like nicknames for players that were you know secretly like names of you know punk stars uh, you know punk rock stars there was one team that had like names of fictional characters in it and and just to hide up hide the, the real names of players and i thought that was always a kind of fun twist where you could be like oh that nick nohart guy i think that's supposed to be barry bonds <laughs> you know like so yeah love that stuff uh yeah i i, I won't contend the nhl 94 is greatest sports game uh uh, that sounds reasonable to me. I think that's a reasonable take from from a reasonable guy. Uh, I will also add that, uh, as we found out right before this show, that there is a new Sega Genesis revival pro- coming out, and unlike the other ones, you will be able to use the original game cartridges. So if you're sitting on a bunch of Sega Genesis cartridges, hang on to them. They're about to gain value, I think, coming at the end of the year. That's pretty awesome, and uh, yes, that means that we can absolutely buy one and play NHL '94 and settle this this silly debate. And, uh, and we absolutely will. We that will happen on Facebook Live. I don't know if you saw it. I think it might have been before your time at For the Win. I played Nate on a, on a in a Madden game on Facebook Live, and he scored a touchdown with like three seconds left, and to take the lead, I. I got a fair catch on the on the kickoff because I had to because I had to save the time and then I threw a last second touchdown to beat Nate in one of the greatest uh, most sloppily played Madden games of all time. 
that was not before my time. My end of that story is I was in the office that day to do a, a long conference call with SEC football coaches, and I'm on the, this you know three four hour call. I think I was getting close to Nick Saban. Oh, and you uh, heard the eruption, <laughs> and I heard this scream come from, and the whole office looked. And they went, what the heck is that? And I thought, oh, something really great just happened on, on in that game because I knew you guys were, like, talking smack to each other for an hour beforehand, uh, which was great. And you guys came out afterwards just like, oh, man, I'd never seen I you guys. I can't. I can't. We're talking about – I'm talking about a video game I played, like, eight months ago, and I'm still smiling. Like, I can't stop <laughs> smiling about it. Uh, let's move on. Next thing to talk about. Uh, I'm trying to – I have a question, I think. Oh, I got, I got one. Uh, I got a wedding food hot take. Lay it on me. Uh, why do they still serve dinner at weddings? I feel like I went to two weddings this weekend, uh, and the dinners served at both weddings were really good. Uh, actually, like I would say even better than the standard wedding dinner. They, they both came with, like, in both cases, there were, like, seven choices, which is rare. You know, usually you get three. Um, and they were both fine, but... I, in both cases, I was full from all of the delicious appetizers and hors d'oeuvres that had been served. And I feel like maybe it's time for people to cut out the dinner portion of the wedding altogether and just say, like, fill up on appetizers like everyone always does at all of these events. Yeah, that is not a hot take. That is the correct take, and nobody else can argue that. Dinner at weddings is super bad and and for a variety of reasons number one usually dinner the dinner portion is usually the worst food right we all know appetizers in general like i think hors d'oeuvres in general are the best food because a you get a variety of of flavors and and different um usually at a wedding you know you get different you know uh types of food you get you know you can have anything from like the sushi to the the pig in a blanket which is my all-time favorite because it gives you an excuse to eat a hot dog at a wedding um and, uh, you know, they have the, the things that, the, what do they call it, chafing dishes or, you know, the, the cut station where they, they slice up some roast beef for you. I mean, I've been to so many weddings where I've sat down to dinner and said, I'm full. I don't need this. Um, you know, I dance a lot. So, you know, I come back to the table and I'm like, all right, I'll eat three bites of the salmon and then call it a day. And usually it's not that good. It's never as good as the appetizers are because, you know, main dishes generally just not, not that well, good. So I mean, I, they're, they're preparing all of them. They're preparing all of them to go out at the same time, which is different than with the past hors d'oeuvres because then they can just keep churning out fresh ones every time. So you're dealing with a steak that maybe has sat there for a few minutes because they're waiting to cook the rest of the steaks. Or, yeah, there's just a, there's a lot of issues with feeding that many people all in one sitting. Uh, and again, like you said, it's just the there's so much more variety to the appetizers, and I feel like maybe even if we if we cut out dinner altogether, we would get an even larger variety of past hors d'oeuvres and exactly. stations, and that's what I want. And and I've heard people, and I've brought up this in the past. Actually, I think I proposed it for my own wedding. I sort of said, could we do like an all hors d'oeuvres wedding? Because I love that idea. And and I think I was shot down. I forgot by whom. Um, I don't think it, it actually worked at the venue we were at, but people kept saying to me, well, you have to have everybody kind of take a break and sit down at their tables and all that. And I said, why? You know, they can sit down and eat hors d'oeuvres for all I care, you know. And also the idea of like sort of formal seating, you know, let people mingle. I don't know. But th that's the argument. And I think that's an outdated argument. I think we all know that hors d'oeuvres are way better. Uh, and, and it's lame. The question I have for you is, well, like, what's your favorite 
wedding appetizer of all time or hors d'oeuvre of all time oh man uh, we had really uh, we had really good food at my wedding that was like a, a high priority uh and it was it was at a venue where we could hire like we it, it, the venue didn't provide the catering so we hired a caterer so we hired like a barbecue guy to have like a oh, it was nice. all all bar but i don't remember a single past hors d'oeuvre like specifically i just remember that they were all delicious the one that's jumping in my head just because i had it on sunday uh, I was at weddings Friday and Sunday, and there were great pesto hors d'oeuvres Friday. They had, like, uh, little fried grilled cheese sandwiches, which were incredible, um, and macaroni and cheese bites and jalapeno poppers and, like, a lot of a lot of fried things available to me, which I appreciated. And then Sunday, there were mini duck tacos. It's on Long Island, oh, so I guess you kind of best. feel ob- ob- obligated to serve duck on Long Island because Long Island duck is a thing, and the duck tacos were incredible. And, and I love duck. Um, I'm I'm a, a as I said before a, a pig in a blanket kind of guy because it's just the best excuse. Oh, to have love a, hot a pig dog in the blanket. Yeah, love a pig in the blanket. Yeah, I don't know how it elevates it though. Like the, the fact that it's a miniature hot dog wrapped in in puff pastry suddenly makes it good enough to eat at a wedding. I think that's just such an illusion of 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 elevating it in some fashion, which I think is just so funny. And I think it's like funny to walk around. I've been to weddings where um, I was actually at a wedding that had I think the all time greatest. Um, uh, appetizer drinks hour before the dinner. And that was where I walked in to dinner and said, I can't eat another bite because there was a guy there making mozzarella balls on site. Oh, and I that's that was amazing. I stood there for like 10 minutes just watching him work because it's such a cool thing. And that same one had, I, as I recall, the biggest seafood offering I've ever seen, just crab legs, lobster tails, you name it, shrimp coming out the wazoo, just everywhere. And it was like, I, I couldn't, eat enough it, it was like because i was like it's going to be taken away from me for the for the dinner portion uh so i had to get my fill the other thing is is about at weddings i don't know if you do this i'm, I'm i hope you do um i always try to find my positioning i sort of oh abs- that is like strategizing for where you stand is like exactly. the whole thing for cocktail hour you got to find exactly. the, where you're always on the route you know like like exactly. you want to be you want to be the first Near group the of people they stop at when they come out of the kitchen basically which makes me wonder how the waiters and wait staff deal with that problem, right? If you have twenty people in front of your door, you're going to lose all your apps in the first second. I don't think you care. I don't think you care, though, right? I guess not. Yeah, right. Like that's not your job. Your job is to hand out food, <laughs> right? Yeah, and you just go back and yeah. The sooner you're done, then you just go back and get more food. Yeah, no, I think I think they're good with it. Yeah, and and it's, it's so I'm on board with you. Let let's lead the revolution of no more dinners at weddings. Uh, have you ever, before we move on back to a more topical, uh, although this is very topical, everybody gets married in the summer, you're probably going to, everybody's going to weddings coming up. Have you ever, sure by chance, this is hyper-local, have you ever been to a wedding at a place called Russo's on the Bay in Queens? No, I haven't. Uh, it is, it is like a, it's a scene, it's a huge place, it's like a big, old, like Italian catering hall, but what's notable there is that... They have this like whole separate room. I only went to one wedding there, but uh, after you'd already eaten just an astonishing amount of food, like to the point of of delirium, then they're like, "Now it's time for our famous dessert table," and they like throw open this wall, um, which you didn't even realize there's a room behind it, and there's fireworks shooting out of the dessert, and there's like a cotton candy machine and an ice cream sundae station and like a make your own donut area and like just like every possible concoction you can possibly imagine for dessert uh it was that was like 
probably maybe the best I ever ate and the most I ever ate in my life was at that place. Yeah, I, I went to a wedding in Philadelphia that had the, sort of not that uh, level of fireworks and whatnot, but they threw open some doors where um, the, the hors d'oeuvres had been. And that's where they had this magnificent chocolate fountain and 50 kinds of cake, and it was cookies and the works. That's the best. I am vying – I would like an alternative, uh, an alternative to the chocolate fountain. I love the fountain aspect of it, but I'm not huge on chocolate. Uh, which is Ooh. which is odd, you know. But uh, and I used to like chocolate more than I do now. I wish there was also like a caramel fountain that I could dip stuff in. That seems kind of sticky, but I guess so is chocolate. I don't know. I I'm I'm team chocolate fountain all the way. I you know. You it can could dip be all like it. It doesn't it. have to be like super thick caramel. Like it could be like a caramel sauce, like you'd put on ice cream, but just heat it up so I could dunk my marshmallows in it. Or you know, cheese fountain. That's you know that we we're sort of getting to the fondue end of things all about a cheese fountain if you yeah i would i would have that would be cool it would be cool to have a cheese fountain that was just permanently going in my kitchen and like i could just come in at all hours of night and take like my finger and stick it in the cheese fountain yeah yeah and that's the thing you have to resist with a chocolate fountain is just like putting your head under it which i've never done i I definitely would like to someday be rich enough that my kitchen essentially is like the cheese version of the willy wonka chocolate room (laughs) <laughs> and like everything in my kitchen is made out of food and everything is edible, but it's all instead of all candy, it's all meats and cheeses. Oh yeah, and you could sing pure imagination and you I just you would just every great. single day. Uh get last thing. Um and I think you have a take on this because I certainly don't. Uh <laughs> give me your fifth question. Well, my it's the question that I sort of asked for myself, which is that is is what the the NHL expansion draft it happened so is has was the NHL expansion draft successful in making it as exciting as it sounded? And the answer is, like, now no, in my opinion. I mean, that's my sort of take is, like, the Golden Knights selected their 30 players. They made kind of a big hoopla out of it. They got a few big names. And now they're just dismantling it. They're trading all these players that they drafted for, for draft picks. And they made all these deals with teams to, like, stay away from certain players if they got a pick and a, you know, young prospect in exchange. And... While that's the smart thing to do, it's not the the fun thing to do. Like I was really hoping for, you know, all these mock drafts. Were like here's the guys they can get, and the starting lineup could be really good. I think I said to you recently, either on Facebook or, the, or somewhere, that like they could have a team that's better than four other NHL teams, and it just didn't happen because they're playing it the smart way. So like, boo to being reasonable. Funny enough, you know, but but that's what they're doing. Like I, I sort of like, you know, all these ideas that it could be like a fantasy hockey draft just sort of went out the window and in six years they'll be a great team but for now you know it's like oh man they just traded the one good defenseman they took like lame the side deal thing feels really weird to me and i don't i don't know why because i'm not saying it shouldn't happen like obviously again like if that's the best way to go about building your team there's no rule against trading guys and and certainly there's no rule against having the discussion like hey we won't draft this guy if you're down to trade us this guy or whatever it is uh it just it feels shady it feels like it's not in the spirit of the expansion draft yeah you use the word like you know potentially collusion but i guess if it's in the rules it's in the rules um and it's funny because some of the reports that came out were like hey the gm was like holding everybody ransom like oh i see you left this guy in here unprotected so what are you gonna do about it you know and and that's the right move, uh, you know. As unfortunate as it is, as it is that they didn't 
pick up, um, you know, this big name defenseman from the the Ducks that they avoided him because of a deal. Um, that that you know that's the way you're supposed to do it. Um, and now trading sort of all these these guys around the NHL that they picked, it's probably the right move, and it means they're going to tank a little bit. And it's just like oh bummer. The the cool thing about it to me though is that Vegas is realizing that like it can draw an audience no matter what. Like hockey in Vegas, like people are going to come no matter what. So they can afford maybe for a few years to kind of uh, uh, wallow a little bit before they get better. Can we get expansion in some of the other sports? When was the last time? Yes, so ba- when, when was the last time a different sport expanded? Right, basketball. Two thousand. I just had this conversation. Four. Yeah. Two thousand. When did the Raptors come? That was nineties. Late nineties. Mid nineties, even. Yeah, because oh, I remember. Oh, but then the, the so they added the the Bobcats, Hornets, right? Oh, like, that's right. Yep. Um, so, because the, so that's, is that the most recent expansion when they returned to Charlotte? I believe you're right. That, that was 2004. And then you've got, um, I thought of the, the Cleveland Browns. That was the conversation I had the other day. And I was like, oh yeah, the Cleveland Browns came back to the NFL in, I think it was 2000. Um, so that was what I thought was confusing that they keep expanding teams that once existed. Right. Yep. Because you can't call you can't call them the original Cle- Cleveland Browns because the original Cleveland Browns are now the Baltimore Ravens. So if you look back at their franchise history, it includes, you know, Ernest Biner and all those guys, and yeah, it's, it's very very weird. Um, I, is it are these leagues ripe for more ex- expansion? It feels like I don't know. I feel like yes. I feel and I know that from my understanding, it's that they're they're all making so much money and that the owners that typically expansion comes when a sport's not doing well because then it's like okay let's let's get into a new market we need we need the expansion fee to you know help promote the league stuff like that and and owners don't want to you know rock the boat if they're all raking in cash but i think for the growth of these sports uh you know and the non-hockey major sports basketball football baseball i think you make case they could all use a couple more teams they're all drawing on uh certainly basketball and baseball are drawing on far larger more international talent pools than they were the last time those leagues expanded i don't see i don't think you'd see a huge drop off in the talent level by adding two teams in both of those sports and i think that you have a lot of cities now that could probably support that absolutely i mean i i think seattle needs nba basketball back like now and they've been clamoring for it since the the uh, the uh, supersonic left and that just makes me so sad because seattle's such a great sports town you know you got the seahawks and mariners who are you know draw a lot and the sounders which is like a phenomenon i think one of my favorite like little little known i don't know if you're not a follower of mls and which i'm not but i just know that like the sounders and the portland timbers have like this great rivalry and that's so cool um but i think yeah that expanding is is fun for everybody um you get more cities in on it and and there are cities that are dying for more sports um so yeah give give seattle the sonics back and we can start talking yeah i think also that uh in the case of the nba and and baseball I think you could make the the reasonable case that they'd be both uh, better aligned with 32 teams, and you have 16 per conference, and you can I would you know probably just break them into two. I don't know. I I, I think that I think that it's time. I, I want. I'm just. It's exciting to me expansion, even in the hockey sense. Uh, it's fun to have new teams around, and I want that in baseball. I want more stadiums I can go see and cities I can visit where there is baseball. 
what what city right now would be the leading candidate for like what would you like to see MLB land in? Where would I like to see, or where do I think they would land? Give me both. That's that's. Good. I mean, if if it's up to me, I'd be like, well, Portland and New Orleans, because those are the places I want to go hang out. Um, <laughs> but right. I think I don't know. I think there's a. Big, I mean, I think there, there's certainly cases to be made for uh, you know there's a there's a big movement to bring back baseball to Montreal. I think that, that there's a, a solid case to be made for Vancouver if they want to go uh, to Canada and they don't want to go to Montreal. Uh, there have always been cases for, for Mexico. Uh, that is more of a, a logistic hurdle, I think, just in, in terms of distance alone. Uh, same for, uh, been, there's been talk about you know adding a team in, in Puerto Rico and whether that could work. But if you're looking at, at U.S. cities, um, to me, it seems like the southeast could use another team just because that's that's such a big area for baseball. Like, uh, you know, if you had a team in Tennessee and Nashville or in Memphis, I think they would do real well. I think a team in the Charlotte area would probably do pretty well uh, because those are that's certainly strongly baseball territory and like only weekly Braves and Cardinals territories. So those are those are good landing spots for me, and I think you could. Uh, you could make a case for another team in California. You could make a case for another team in the Northeast to try to cut into the share of the Mets and the Yankees and the Phillies and the Red Sox. Yeah, well, wouldn't you have to pay like you know territorial fees and all. I guess it, it'd be worth it because the, the the demand would be there. Yeah, I mean, I think, and you'd need teams to. It depends on how close you want to move. If you want to live, if you want to move within, you know, I think it's twenty-five miles or fifty miles of an existing team, then you need that team to waive their rights to block you, and and no team's really going to do that. But yeah. I, I don't know. I almost wonder if, and so that makes it it harder to find that that population base in the Northeast where you're going to be far enough away from another team and have enough people who are going to show up. Uh, and so it would probably take like a forced order from baseball and they're not going to do that. So that's probably out. It would probably be Charlotte. That, that seems like a real easy one for me. Uh, maybe, I don't know. There's a, there's a bunch of cities. There's a bunch of cities that are sort of on the fringes where you could be like Columbus, Ohio, maybe you should have a baseball team. Austin, then Texas. Yeah, yeah. Austin, Texas. And then you're like, well, then, then Texas has three teams and Ohio has three teams. There right. are cities that could support it is all I'm saying. Uh, I'll give you one that, that might happen in the NFL someday down the road. And nobody's sort of, uh, said it at, that it's, you know, certainly far from definitive, but there's talk of London for the NFL, like the team, they could, you know, they've been drumming up support there with, uh, with going over there for games every year. And it's just like, it, it they, if, if people think it could happen for 16 games a year, they, like they'll do it. And I, I think that'd be really fa- a fascinating kind of little experiment. Um, nothing's definitive. I had this argument with a certain coworker of ours who might be British, um, so, you know, like, would it be good for the NFL or would it be good for that team or not? And I argue it wouldn't because, you you know, going three hours away for a game like they do with West Coast, East Coast, um, you know, messes up everybody's sort of body clocks and things like that. And so imagine a team that's practicing in London, you know, for most of the week and then traveling, what is it, six hours to, you know, or longer for a game uh, in the United States. So I'm sort of not on board with that, but it, I, I'd like to see how 
far the NFL takes this. It would be a huge schedule, uh, like scheduling headache. I think the NFL is better positioned to do that than would obviously just because they only play once a week. So you would at least have a couple of days to get acclimated to the new time. But yeah, I mean, asking an NFL player to live in London and occasionally play games on the West Coast of the United States is pretty ridiculous. That's a really, really long trip. Yeah, we'll see. I don't. I don't think my prediction now it won't happen. But you know, predictions I've made have gone far worse. So uh, you know, stay tuned. I guess. All right. Well, Charles, uh, thank you as always for for joining me. It was a pleasure as always. I always love being uh, Mr. Reasonable on your podcast. I think I was a little less reasonable today. So I, you know, hopefully you were uh, full of hot takes. Uh, you <laughs> can check out the For the Win podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, etc. Charles. Uh, I hope you get to enjoy the lovely weather today. Thank you, and I hope you get to a wedding that has only hors d'oeuvres. Peace out.